Here we go. Second Kings chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. Somebody say, wherever you can. Isn't it great how specific God is? God, where should I go? Wherever you can. Can you give me a sign? Can you give me an exit, a road mark, a, a mile mark? When you see the red barn, turn left. Nah, just stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me please all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, oh Lord, my Lord, oh king, this is the woman. And this is her miracle, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left until now. I ain't even preached it yet. And it's already good. Somebody say, let it be unto me according to his word. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful that in this moment, you're stirring a Holy Spirit fire in our soul. In this moment, you're healing, you're restoring, you're downloading, you're imparting. Heaven is invading every home under the sound of my voice. We will be marked by signs, wonders, and miracles. Father God, we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen and amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Life is full of transitions. It seems like the more years you add to your life, the faster life changes. I, I, I actually am weird enough to remember being six and seven and eight and nine and 13 felt like 25 years away. When I hit 13, 16 felt like it might as well have been 60. When I turned 16, 18 was as good as ancient. 18, you're looking at 21. You hit 21 and you blink. <laughs> and here's 30. 
just knocking on your door. And it's like 13 to 16 to 25 years, but 21 to 30, it was like a commercial break and it was here. 30 turns into 40, 40 turns into 90, and next thing you know, (laughs) and it's all just a blur. But in this process of growing and matriculating through life, matriculating, that sound like a... That's, listen, listen, S-A-T word. I'm pretty sure I used that right too, not sure, but anyway. (laughs) There are transitions that every single person runs into. At minimum, there's the transition of child to adult, of sheltered to exposed, to, to covered to on your own. At some point, you leave. Maybe (laughs) some mama just elbowed somebody. Said, we go home. We heard the word of the Lord. It's time to pack your bags. It is. Come on now. Tell your mama, I may come back, but I'll leave for now. But at some point you leave, whether you leave to work, you leave to college, you leave to the military, you leave to your own apartment or your home, but at some point you leave. Do you remember leaving? Remember like the first like week where you were out on your own and it was like the Lord has set me free. The horse and the chariot, (laughs) their chores and their paddles, he has cast into the sea. (laughs) But maybe uh, like me for a season, you transition to an apartment or a house or something where you were there by yourself and you're used to people around, you're used to siblings, you're used to parents, you're used to, to noise. And for once, it was eerily quiet. And when you were in the house with all the siblings and all the parents, you would slam your door and say, can I just get some quiet? And now that you have that quiet, it's like somebody said, I love it. Or maybe perhaps the quiet is deafening. It's so loud because it's new. It's awkward. It's. It's displacing its transition. And then maybe you go from that season of in an apartment or house by yourself or roommates or whatever it may be. And then you find your special boo, your special someone. You say, will you? She says, I do. You stand in front of a pastor. And next thing you know, you will never get to be alone again unless you're on a toilet. It is your only escape. Why are you in there so long? Because I miss the quiet. I remember my first few days of being married and I'm in bed and there's a woman in that bed and I'm not sinning. And I said, God, this is new. This is, 
I could get used to this. This, this is well with my soul. And all the married folks said, But the transition is still awkward. It's still displacing. I, I, re, I, re, I remember, like, it took me, I mean, a good three, four months to get over. Oh, my gosh, there's a woman in my house. And she's allowed to be here. And then she started leaving her stuff around. And it's awkward. I don't normally have high heels sitting on a step. This is new. And what is this almond milk? I've never... <laughs> No almonds give milk. I know. <laughs> Somebody found deliverance over there. <laughs> and then maybe you transition into this season of having children and you, you, you sit in that hospital for three days and then that nurse puts you in the car and sends you home and you look at him or her and say, you're not coming with us. It's... <laughs> <laughs> and you go home and they leave you with that human and expect you not to mess it up. You, you finally put the child to bed and you put them in that bed. You haven't slept in seven days, but you can't sleep because you're not quite sure. Are they going to breathe while you're sleeping? So you sit there and you stare at them while they sleep, not knowing this is your only opportunity to sleep. But you've never done this before. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's displacing, probably as uncomfortable of dropping that newborn off to college for the first time because newborn born to 18 goes in a flash and every time you've dropped them off before you've planned a time to pick them up should I come back at 8 should I come back at 10 should I come back at 11 but for the first time I'm dropping with no plan of picking you back up this is awkward this is weird this is uncomfortable you can go on and on and finally you're an empty nester they're all gone they're all off the payroll you are no longer responsible for them eating sleeping or being insured if they want to be uninsured motorist it is completely up to them if the police call don't look for me I'm not the one I have insurance go find them they live over there Maybe a loved one transitions to heaven before you. And you're not heartbroken anymore. God has comforted you, but it's still awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's easy. It's displacing because I'm used to calling. I'm used to texting. I'm used to seeing the flash in their eye, the smile. This is, this is life. Life is full of transitions. Transitions are up. What a lot of believers miss, though, is that the natural is a picture of the spiritual. 
and we understand the natural transitions of life from, 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 from toddler to child, from child to adolescent, from adolescent to adult, from adult to parent or whatever the transition may be. But what we do not realize is there are just as many and just as real transitions in the spiritual realm as there are in the natural realm. There are just seasons where God is transitioning you, not your natural habitat, but who you are in him and how he is expressing himself to you and how you hear him and how his power flows through you. There's a maturation process to your spiritual life, just like there is a maturation process to your natural life. Here's the problem. We know when we turn 18, we know when we turn 21, we know when we leave, so we understand those transitions, but we're not quite as attuned to when a spiritual transition is going on in our lives. All we know is I feel awkward. All I know is the things that used to bring me joy don't bring me joy anymore. All I know is the things I used to get excited about, I don't get excited about anymore. The things that used to come easy to me, they just seem almost like a chore now. The, 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 the spiritual folks, the God, they'll say, they'll say, the grace has lifted. And what they're saying is, I don't know how to express this, but God is transitioning me from from one place to the next place. What, what do I do in that season where this is new? It's not bad, it's just new. And because it's new, I'm not familiar with it. So I'm uncomfortable, I'm awkward. Do you remember when you were in that house or apartment by yourself for the first time and you would hear a creak and you're like, who is that? <laughs> you just hear things. <laughs> Because it's, it's, it's new. In our passage in 2 Kings chapter 8, we come across by now a, a famous woman, a Shunammite woman. This woman, the Bible tells us chapters before, was a wealthy woman, a woman of means, a woman that was passionately in love with God. And, and she began to notice that the man of God, Elisha, would visit her city time and time and time again. And she went to the man of God and she said, hey, I would love for you to stay at my house when you are in town. I'm not going to give you a spare bedroom. I'm going to build an addition onto my house so that you can dwell with me and my husband and those that are in this house with us whenever you come to town. She built a space on her house for the presence of God. Not everybody's pursuit of God is equal. Some people's pursuit of God can be summed up in an hour 15 minutes on a Sunday. This is called a pregnant pause. Some people's pursuit of God is not just an hour, 15 minutes every Sunday, but it is an hour every day as I am sitting in my closet, sitting in my room, driving in my car, basking in the presence of God, listening to his word, worshiping, journaling, or whatever it may be. Some people's pursuit of God is not just an hour, 15 minutes on a Sunday. It's not just an hour a day, but it's 21 days of praying and fasting and waking up early in the morning to seek the Lord because they 
actually believe that he responds. Not everybody's pursuit of God is differently, but just hear me. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I am trying to entice you into a pursuit of God. Your response from God is based on your pursuit of God. While God is not a respecter of persons, he does not treat everybody the same. He said, they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be. And sometimes you've got to read the other side of the verse, which says, they that do not hunger and they that do not thirst shall not be filled. He responds according to your pursuits not necessarily according to who he is. So she creates room in her house for the man of God. And after visiting it a few times, he said, there is no way you can create atmosphere in your house for God and God not move in your life in a way that is above and beyond all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. What can the man of God do for you, he said. And she said, I need nothing because I didn't do this to get something. I did this because I love the presence of God. And I love how God works. He says, I'm so glad glad that you're not entitled. I'm so glad that you're not greedy. I'm so glad that you love my presence, but I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. It is obvious that you do not have a child and you long to have a child. And if anybody remembers our message from New Year's Eve last year, about this time next year, you will hold a bit. Somebody shout that just to remind you about this this time next year, you're going to be holding a miracle in your hand. This time next year, she was holding a baby boy that doctors and life and time had said she would never be able to hold. And yet there he was, because when you create space in your life for God, God blows your mind with things that you would not even dare pray for. Well, as time passes on, this young man grows and he goes to his father and he said, daddy, I have a headache. And his daddy says what a lot of dads say, go find your mama. Goes and finds his mother. And as soon as he gets there, he lays down in her lap. And in moments, he's dead. The Bible blows my mind because as you read it, you see men and women of God walk in faith that so challenges me and say, God, I long for my faith to be there one day. She takes that baby boy and she takes him up to the room that she had prepared for the presence of God because she didn't know when she was going to need the room, but she just said, I better create a room just in case I need a room. I'm preaching. Don't wait for me to start preaching. Some of us are waiting to create a pursuit of God. For when we need a pursuit of God and when you need a pursuit of God, it's too late to create a pursuit of God. But because she was pursuing him when she did not need him in the moment that she needed him, she knew where to go. She takes that boy and she lays it on the prophet's bed and her husband says, are you okay? She says, it is well. Not it is perfect, but it is well. It is well means it will end the way it's supposed to end. It may not have started the way that I wanted to start. It may not be in the middle the way I wanted to go, but it is well. I wonder, is there anybody in this room whose life is not perfect, is not going the way you wanted? You've got some bumps, you've got some hiccups, You've got some setbacks. You maybe even have a little bit of an enemy, but you also got some faith to say it will.
will end the way that God has declared it's going to end. I decree and declare it is. It ain't perfect, but it's well. The prophet comes and raises the young man back to life. And time goes on. I'm having fun. Are y'all having We're talking about the matriculation of faith. Can I show you something? She went to the man of God and said, I'll make a room in my house. She went to the man of God and said, my child is dead. Can you now come and raise him back to life? Then we get to 2 Kings chapter 8, where she was no longer going to the man of God, but the man of God was now coming to her to tell her what is about to take place in the land. Hear me, there is a season when we pursue God, but there's a level of maturation where God begins to pursue you. There's a season when you begin to go after God and say, God, I long for you. God, I want you. God, I want to see you do things in my life. But hear me, there are certain people that God goes after. He said, I've seen your pursuit. I've seen your hunger. And I've determined you're the type of person that I've been looking to and fro from. And when I want to do something in the land, you're the one that I'm looking for. Can I just take about a 30-second break and say, God, I want to be the type of person that you look for. God, I want to be the type of person that you pursue. I don't just want to be the type of person that runs after God, but I want to be the type of person that God runs after me. The prophet comes to her and he doesn't quite say what he thinks she, what she thinks he's going to say. He says, God has predetermined that there will no longer be provision for you in this land. So what I need you to do is get your husband, get your son, get your attendants, pack up your family and go. Where do I go? Wherever. Wherever you find to go. But you just can't stay But my family is here. But I will not provide for you here any longer. But my bed and my house and my comforts are here. But I will not provide for you here any longer. But I know the streets. I know the signs. I know the back roads. I I know how to navigate here. I don't care how familiar it is. I will no longer provide for you here. Can you write this down? We've got to learn to embrace displacement. We've got to learn to embrace displacement. Here's why. Because God will always take you out of before he enters you into And we want to know where God has taken us into before we are willing to leave what he has taken us out of. And God says, that is not how it works. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 11, it says this, and they ate of the produce of the land. And on the day after the Passover, watch this, the unleavened bread and parched grain. And on the very same day, verse 12, then the manna ceased. 
On the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Here's what blows my mind. God will lead you with his provision. God will let you know where he wants you to be based on how he provides for you in that place. And when he no longer wants you to be in that place, he will move his provision. It's amazing how the friends you used to have used to make you laugh. And I don't know what happened to them people. They just ain't as funny as they used to be. It's amazing how the crew you used to hang out with used to encourage you. And now when you're having an overwhelming day, you pick up your phone, you're like, uh. That place just doesn't feed me the way that it used. But here's the problem. Some of us are insisting on staying in a place that God has already decided to move you out of. And you know you're not getting the same joy. You know you're not getting the same comfort. You know you're not getting the same peace. But we're just stubborn. We said, I don't want to move. I like this place here. And God says, there is no longer the place that I have for you. I am displacing you to promote you. Can you trust me enough to get out of where you are and to go to where? One of the things I love about being a follower of God is the rules don't apply to me. One of the things I love about being a follower of God is that the rules do not apply to me. This is the faith section over here. This is the, I don't know what's going on over there. And one of the problems with believers is they forget and they actually begin to think that the rules apply to them. The prophet came to the woman and said, hey, God has decided he's no longer providing for the people in the land. But just understand, he's not talking about you because you're a seeker of his presence. You're, you're a person that makes room in your life for him. You're a person that believes that he's able to raise the dead. So I didn't come to tell you what he's going to take from you. I just came to tell you that what's going on here is no longer applying to you. So you need to begin to move out to a different section. Union Church, God sent me to remind you that the rules of this land do not apply to you. So stop crying about interest rates and stop crying about employment rates and stop crying about school districts and stop crying about this and that. That does not apply to you. Somebody shout, it doesn't apply to me. I walk in that anointing and it makes my wife very uncomfortable. We were in a sales office this week and the salesperson said, oh, we've never done that before. And they expected me to respond. <laughs> What's that got to do with me? <laughs> so well, I, I would have to call the owner in order for that to happen. I'll wait. 
Person walks off, gets on the phone with the owner. I don't even think they made the call. I think they were just pretending it. I'm sitting there with the salesperson. The salesperson said, I wouldn't get my hopes up. We have never done this as long as I've worked here. Like, how long you worked here? <laughs> said about two years. Well, I said, I bet you about three years ago, they did something just like this. Don't even, <laughs> by the way, they did it because the rules do not apply. Psalm 17, verse 7 says this, Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. When God says move, move. And if you don't move, you'll be exposed. Some of us, the attack and the drama that we're going through is because we're in a place that God has told us to move from. We're in a relationship that God has told us to move from. We're working a job that God has told us to move from. We're in a state of spiritual immaturity that God has said to move from. And you're afraid to move because you don't know where you're going to go. Not understanding that God always takes into obscurity what he values. Moses, you're a deliverer. Hide him in the basket. Jesus, you're the Messiah. Hide him in Egypt. Paul, I'm going to use you as a mouthpiece to the Gentiles. Put him on an island. God, oh, it's like fine china. You don't put your china in the same category as the other plates and cups and forks and knives. You put the fine china in a cabinet, and it only comes out for special use on Thanksgiving, on Christmas, and when the random person comes by your house. Why? Because what you value you hide. Second thing is this, write this down. Be careful who you go to. So after seven years of famine, and by the way, she found herself in the city where the Philistines are. That was Israel's sworn enemy. But yet it was a place where God provided for her. Do you know why God said go wherever? Because it didn't really matter where she went. It mattered who was going with her. And as long as I have him going with me, wherever I end up is blessed. Some of us have been agonizing about the next step we should take in our life. And I'm not trying to be irreverent and I'm not trying to be anti-biblical, but hear me. It really does not matter where you go. It doesn't matter what house you pick. It doesn't matter what job you pick. It doesn't matter what city you pick. What matters is, is he going with you? Because if he's going with you, wherever you go is blessed. Seven years of God providing for her, seven years the famine is over. She comes back to Israel. But when she gets back to Israel, after seven years of being gone, she finds someone living in her house. She finds that someone has taken possession of her lands and her properties. And she found in the season that God was hiding her, in her season of being displaced, she lost some of the things that were her inheritance. 
reality is those transition seasons, those seasons of displacement, sometimes they have a way of taking from us what belongs to us. Sometimes transition has a way of stealing your peace. And, and, and you tell yourself stuff like, you know, it's just for a season. Come on now, any, any new parents who ain't slept in a while said it's just for a season. I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. I'm not quite sure when the season is over. Before you know it, you lost something in the season of being displaced. And you never quite got it back. And I was really a lot more confident before this transition. And even though the transition is over, I haven't quite got my confidence back. You know, I, I had a joy that was infectious. People used to comment about my smile. And I made it through that sickness. I, I overcame. God healed my body. But in the process of battling that sickness and receiving my healing, I lost my smile. And I don't quite know how to get it back. Reality is, see, life is full of transitions. Transitions displace us. God always protects us and blesses us where we are. But the reality is we live in a broken and a fallen world. And this broken and fallen world has a way of robbing from us our inheritance. He said, because I'm a child of God, I'm an heir, I'm a co-heir with Christ, which means healing is my inheritance, peace is my inheritance, purpose is my inheritance, influence is my inheritance, glory is my inheritance. But over time, I feel like I've just lost, I've misplaced what belongs to me. I've discovered when I've lost what belongs to me, I have many options of where I can go to find it. And some of us, because of seasons of transition, we lost our joy, we lost our peace, we lost our vision, and now we're on this pursuit and this uh, obsession over getting back what we've lost, and we're going through the options of where do I find it. And for some people, when they've lost something, they just say, I've got to work to get it back. Now, now, now that the kids are sleeping through the night, now that the papers are signed and the divorce is final, now that I've finally gotten that season out of my life, now I've got to work to rebuild all that I've lost. And we begin to run and we begin to strive and we begin to build and we begin to network and we begin to try to do everything we can to get back what we lost because we think brute force will restore what we've lost. Some of us go to people and expect them to restore what that season lost. So I'm going to find somebody to give me joy again. I'm going to find somebody to give me peace again. I'm going to find somebody to put a smile back on my face. Some of us are not even trying to regain what we lost. Some of us are just so grateful we survived the transition 
that we start to say things like, well, at least. Don't have my joy, but at least I got out of the situation. I really don't have vision for the rest of my life, but at least I. But this woman, this Shunammite woman, she didn't try to work for everything that she lost. She didn't try to find some random person to restore what she had. She didn't say, hey, at least I survived the last seven years. You can have the house. You can have the land or whatever it may be. She said, no, 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 no. The God who told me to leave is a God who told me to come back. And if he told me to come back, he is going to restore all that belongs to me. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the king of the land. I'm not going to go talk to the neighbor and ask them if they know who moved in. I'm, I'm not going to try to find my uncle to see if he still has the deeds of the land. I'm going to talk to the one person that has the authority to restore all that was lost to me. Hear me, Union Church. God is saying you've got to get back to pursuing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for that which you lost. He said, listen, I am the one that holds the hearts of kings in my hand. I'm the one that opens doors that no man can shut and I shut doors that no man can open. When I say that I'm bringing you in, nobody can stop me. It's about time we started going back to the one who actually, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 8 verse 31. So what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? By the way, if you do not know the God that is for us, let me tell you about the God that is for us. He's the type of God that did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Verse 34, so it is Christ Jesus who died even more, who was raised and who was also at God's right hand. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. You play, I'm done. So here it is, the Shunammite woman. So I'm going to go to the king. Could you imagine how uncomfortable and nervous she was when she went and stood outside the court and said, who are you? And remember, she was a wealthy, notable woman. They would have known who she was. She says, I'm the woman who used to live on that property Can I have an audience with the king? Remember, she was coming back to a land that had been in famine for seven years. The attendant said, wait right here. And goes and whispers something in one person's ear. You know how it is when you're around important people. They all got to whisper to four different people instead of, why can't you? <laughs> And finally, they go into the king's presence. Oh, king, we have a request. And he says, hold on. The prophet's attendant, Gehazi, is here. He was just telling us a story. Go ahead. Gehazi, tell I'll get, wait one second. Gehazi, what were you going to say? Gehazi said, well, you were asking me if God still raises the dead. 
And I tell you, I didn't even really believe that that God could do supernatural things. I I didn't believe that God could restore joy after divorce. I I didn't believe that God can make cancer disappear. I didn't believe that God could take things that are not. But until I saw it with my own eyes, and there, there, there was this woman, O king, and she was a Shunammite woman. She, she wasn't even one of us Israelites, but she believed in God, and, and she built an atta- attachment on her house for, for my master Elisha. And, and her, I'm not going to pay you the whole story. Long story short, her son died. And Elisha brought him back to life. God did a I've seen a God that raises the dead back to life. The king said, Wow, that's amazing. I would love to see that God move in my life. Now, by the way, why were you interrupting me? Bring her in. Here is this woman outside of this room, nervous, not sure if the king is going to restore what she had lost in her season of displacement. And she had no idea under the sovereignty of God that he had prepared that room for her request. And he had sent somebody that she did not know (laughs) to prepare the heart of the king for her request. Just just picture this moment. Here is this woman walking into the room and Gehazi and the king is like, I wonder whatever happened to that woman. And Gehazi said, I don't even really know. Last time I saw her was a few days before the famine and then she just, this, king, you would not believe, this is, Imagine how her demeanor changed when she walked in a room to ask an outrageous question, not realizing that the room already knew who she was and already had been prepared for her request. Union Church, God sent me to let some of you know that you are getting ready to walk into new seasons of your life that you're nervous about. You're you're uncomfortable. You're you're not sure if you have what it takes. You're you're not sure if the room is going to accept your idea and accept your identity and accept your personality and what you do not know is you're not walking into a room without an introduction you're walking in a room that the Holy Spirit himself has gone before you and has announced your entrance you're walking into a room that God says I ordained this room for you before the beginning of time and they're going to be ready for you they're going to know who you are they're going to expect you they're going to actually prepare space for you to do and by the way don't even worry about what you were going to ask for because it was done before you got stand up we're done we're done we're done look at your neighbor say we're done we're done we're done we're done we're done write this down on your drive home accept nothing less than full restoration 
This Shunammite woman walked in the room and she said, oh king, I've been gone for seven years. And while I was gone, somebody who does not belong in my house is in my house. And somebody who does not own my property is farming my land. The king said, don't worry about it. Not only am I giving it back to you, but I'm not going to send you to go take it yourself. I'm going to send an attendant, an officer with my ring, with my authority, and they're going to go and make sure that you don't have to fight for what belongs to you because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords said, I'm going to make sure that you get it back. And by the way, not only am I going to give you back what you've lost, but I'm going to make sure that they pay you for every single thing that they earned off of your property over the last seven years. Do not lose your mind yet because God sent me with this last prophetic word. Calm down. Some of you have lost years of your life to sickness. Some of you have lost years of your life to depression and anxiety and worry. And God says, not only am I going to heal you, not only am I going to restore you, but I'm going to pay you back for every moment, every second, every year. Some of you feel like you're behind where you should be at this age because I wasted time doing this and I went on this detour and went on that detour. Hear me, he's not just a deliverer. He's not just a promise keeper. He's not just the Lord of the breakthrough, but he is a God that restores the years that the canker worm has stolen. I decree and declare that God is getting ready to pay you back for years of crying and years of being ignored and years of being invisible and years of being under the attack and the oppression of the enemy. God said you're going to see your life fast forwarded, not based on what you can do, not based on your effort, but based on the fact that I am the king of kings and the lord of lords and i am just if you believe it don't take 10 seconds don't take 30 seconds take about 60 seconds and can you give god praise in this place table for you in the presence of your enemies. He'll anoint your head with over. Your cup will come. Somebody shout, he's prepared the room for me. Somebody shout, he's prepared the room for me. Union Church, God is getting ready to take us as a church, you as an individual, to a realm that's above and beyond all that you can ask, think, or imagine. And you've been crying, and you've been fussing, and you've been squirming, and you've been complaining because it's awkward, and it's uncomfortable, and it feels like I'm invisible, and no one's seen me, and overlooked, and God is saying, that's just what it feels like to be in transition. That's just what it feels like to go from one season to the next. That's just what it feels like when I'm done blessing you there, and I'm getting ready to bless you in a new place, in a new way. Don't be overwhelmed by the awkwardness. Don't be overwhelmed by how comfortable it is. Begin to stand up straight and put your shoulders back and decree, he's already gone before me. He's already prepared the room for me. He's already made sure that when I step in that place, they know my name. When I step in that place, they are going to do for me what God has ordained.
decree and declare supernaturally that doors are being opened all over this state, all over this city. God, you're beginning to put our names in the mouth of people of influence to do your will here on this earth. God, I thank you that you're restoring the years that were stolen and we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen.